Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Nature Podcast. This week, we have something slightly different for you. We've got an extended briefing chat. So we'll be covering three recent stories from the world of science that have been featured in the Nature Briefing. Joining me for our chat this week are Shamini Bundell and Dan Fox. How are you both doing? Hey, good, thank you. Yeah, great, thanks. Glad to be making my Nature Briefing debut. This is double excitement. We have three hosts and we have a Dan Fox as Nature Podcast host. I'm, I'm very excited for this. Well, it's good to have you both here. And I thought I would go first this week. And I've been looking into a geological mystery about a missing billion years of time. That seems very careless. Um, the geologists have mislaid a million years. I, it's it's decreasing my my faith in geology a little bit if they if they've only just noticed that. <laughs> well, they actually noticed it around a hundred and fifty or so years ago. So it's something they've been All working right. on for quite a while. But it's been really hard to work out why this period of time is missing. And well, I should clarify that there's not actual time missing. It's more our geological <laughs> record of it. So this was an article I was reading in BBC Future. And you might already know that when we look back in the past using geology, you look at different layers of rock. And by going down the layers, you can see further and further back in time. And well, around 150 years ago, it was noticed in the Grand Canyon that as you went down the layers something weird happened and there were lots and lots of horizontal layers and then suddenly there was a shift and there were vertical layers and one of the geologists who observed this also observed that there should be more of these layers than there actually were and so there was a missing chunk of geological time. Wait so was the bit where the layers went vertical associated with the bit where some layers were missing yeah so the bits where the layers went vertical are a harder type of rock that is older and these rocks are around 1.7 billion years old whereas the horizontal line the oldest one we had there was around 500 or so million years so there's something that has happened between those two which has meant that that rock is no longer present in those places and i should say as well this varies in different regions so within the grand canyon there's more or less of this sort of missing time and across the world it sort of varies as well but regardless there is always a bit of time that is missing so what are the theories for where these rocks that represent a billion years have gone to well theories is the right word for it because no one is really sure and the reason we're talking about this now is recently there's been a new theory but before we get onto that i'll take you through the two existing theories one is that these rocks were simply eroded away by fast-moving glaciers during a time when the Earth was frozen, Snowball Earth as it's known, and this is the reason for the missing time. 
Another theory is that heat from the centre of the Earth caused an ancient supercontinent called Rodinia to expand and rise up into the air, and the top layer, again, got eroded away. So what's the newest theory? Well, the newest theory is that, actually, this gap wasn't a huge gap at all. What we're seeing are lots of little gaps that we've sort of confused together and think is one big gap in the geological record. Uh, So this was a recent analysis that was done. And I talked a little bit about the Grand Canyon where you can see this, but there are other places as well. And in this study, they compared the Grand Canyon to this place called the Canadian Shield, where there's another one of these gaps. And according to their analysis, it looks like the gap in the Grand Canyon happened before the one in this Canadian Shield, probably before the snowball glaciation. And so actually, it could be several different events that have come together, and it's actually several smaller gaps that have happened in a similar sort of few hundred million years of time, and have ended up being sort of confused together. Because the further back in time you go, the harder it is to sort of place these events, there are greater sort of degrees of uncertainty to work out actually when things happened. And so that's the latest theory. So if it's not all one big, huge global, missing billion years of geological layers, then I, I suppose that means you don't need one unifying theory to explain all the gaps. It could be, you know, both of the ones you mentioned, it could be lots of different things. Yeah, exactly. And what's happening now is there's something called thermochronology, which is a new sort of technique that is allowing geologists to look into the thermal history of rocks. So typically when you talk about dating of rocks, you look at radiometric dating, and it's a similar sort of idea looking at the decay of various elements. But with this, you are actually able to see the sort of history of the rock over time and the sort of thermal history. You can see like how it came from the earth, not just looking at the rock when it was fully formed and solid. And this new technique could help answer some of these questions and maybe finally get an answer to this sort of 150-year-old mystery of what happened with this great big gap in geological time. Well, I think actually, I think it's going to be quite a geology-heavy week in a way, because I've got some exciting rocks and layers to to talk about later. But Dan, your story vaguely geology-related, maybe? I mean, I guess in in the sense that, you know, petrol comes out of the ground, then yes, it's geology-related. Sure. <laughs> Geology special, there we go. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this is a story that was originally published in Chemistry World, and a UN environment program has declared the era of leaded petrol over. That's because in July, Algeria became the last country in the world to stop selling leaded petrol. So at petrol stations, they used to be leaded and unleaded, and you had to sort of make sure you went to the right pump and get the right one. But basically now, if I went to a petrol station anywhere in the world, would I basically not be able to get leaded petrol anymore? You shouldn't be able to get leaded petrol anymore. So I think most high-income countries started to ban the sales of leaded petrol around the end of the 20th century, because despite adding a little tetraethyl lead to petrol, improving engine performance, it does cause a host of health problems. So heart disease, cancers, and harms cognitive development in children. So... As I said, high-income countries started to phase it out around the end of the last century, but most lower middle-income nations uh, weren't able to just sort of switch the switch and get rid of leaded petrol. And if you think about the sort of process involved in getting everyone in a country to stop using older engines, you can see why that might be difficult. 
So in 2002, the UN established a campaign to end the sale of leaded petrol worldwide. And with Algeria's ban coming into effect, they've succeeded. Okay, so is this sort of the end of lead pollution? You said there was obviously a host of health effects. And are we going to start to see a healthier, happier world? Uh, Well, unfortunately, not immediately. It's not going to just be an off switch. So a study in London uh, where we haven't had leaded petrol in cars for over 20 years showed that half the lead in the air still came from leaded petrol that was being used 20 years ago because lead sort of sticks around in the environment in dust and we still have 50 times more lead in the air than you would expect naturally but you know overall getting rid of it you know must be a good thing the un must be pretty happy about their campaign having been successful yeah completely they estimate that there'll be more than 1.2 million premature deaths per year avoided increase in iqs for children and they think we'll save $2.45 trillion for the global economy because of these uh, these benefits. And that could even lead to a decrease in crime rates. And they also see this successful campaign as something that could inspire new efforts to reduce vehicles' environmental impact in the future. Mm, definitely something where there's still a lot of work that I'm sure we can do in terms of pollution and burning fossil fuels and all of that. Yeah, it seems like a lot of stories that we have on the briefing end with that sort of notes but there is more work to be done on the briefing as well so Sharmini I'm intrigued by your story that you alluded to earlier so can you tell us a little bit about it yes it's 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 not really geology it's it's archaeology but you know they're friends the archaeologists and the geologists they love digging in the ground and looking at layers and this particular story is a based on a nature paper and there was a news and views article in nature that that was linked to from the briefing and it's all about archaeological work in the Arabian Peninsula. And the reason that this is sort of particularly interesting is that if we were doing this podcast 10 years ago, pretty much all of the sort of archaeological studies relating to humans came from the very recent past. So 10,000 years ago, after the last ice age, after sort of Neanderthals were extinct. But in the last 10 years, they've been working hard um, and have really expanded what we know about humans in Arabia over the last several hundred thousand years. Well, colour me intrigued then. What do we know about humans in Arabia (laughs) in the past hundred thousand years? Well, one of the sort of key findings is that Arabia wasn't always so dry and arid. This particular paper was looking at studies from ancient lake beds, actually sort of multiple lakes that had ended up stacked on, on top of each other, several, again, hundreds of thousands of years apart. And they found things like evidence of hippopotamuses and freshwater mollusks. And they believe that there were sort of periods of time between when it went back to sort of deserty and arid, where Arabia was probably green and lush, maybe more like the sort of current African savannah, and would have been a really nice place for ancient humans to live. So an interesting thing, I guess, geographically about Arabia is that it connects to Africa and connects Africa to Asia and historically to Australia. So during these periods, is that when perhaps people were coming out of Africa and spreading out into Asia through 
the Arabian Peninsula. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's why this is sort of so key, because we know, obviously, that different human species, including Homo sapiens, did come out of Africa and spread across the world. And they must have come through the Arabian Peninsula to do it at some point, we think. But it wasn't quite known when and how did they sort of hug the coastline so that they would have access to, you know, water and food. But what this paper has found is five distinct periods going back 400,000 years in which in each of these periods not only was it damp and green and, and you know lovely but there is evidence of humans some kinds of humans in each of these five periods so we know now that humans were coming out of Africa and you know potentially back in again during these warm wet periods what we don't know yet what the researchers don't know is whether the expansions from Arabia into the rest of the world. You know, you mentioned humans spreading across Asia, spreading all the way to Australia. We don't know if that was happening from Arabia during those periods as well, which would be really key to understanding the the still quite sort of confusing pattern of humans spreading across the world. So you mentioned as well other human species spreading out of Africa Do we know much about them spreading through the Arabian Peninsula? Yeah, well, the the sort of oldest lake from 400,000 years ago, that was before modern humans evolved in Africa. Later on, in more recent layers, there is evidence of Homo sapiens. And there's some bits in the middle where you're not really sure what, what kind of species it was. But there are, for example, flaked tools that are associated with modern humans, but also Interestingly, in the Arabian Peninsula at the same time were a kind of tools that were associated with Neanderthals. And one of the reasons that that's kind of intriguing is that, uh, well, you have Neanderthal DNA in you, and so do I. Because when Homo sapiens left Africa, uh, scientists think they mixed with Neanderthals, and now Neanderthal DNA is all over the world. So it could be that Arabia is one of the places where that sort of mixing happened. So given that Arabia was a little bit of a bottleneck to the rest of the world, it kind of makes sense that maybe that's the place that modern humans and Neanderthals were sort of meeting up and mixing. And there's obviously, as always, lots more work to be done to to figure out exactly what was going on. Well, I look forward to hearing more about this in the future, but I think this is all we've got time for on this week's show. Dan and Shamini, thank you so much for joining me. And listeners, if you're interested in more stories like these, why don't you try out The Nature Briefing? We'll put a link of where you can sign up, along with the stories that we discussed, in the show notes. We'll be back again next week with a regular show. Thanks for listening. I've been Nick Petrich Howe. I'm Shamini Bandel. And I'm Dan Fox. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 